All right, we're beginning a brand new series today called The Dreamer. And I'm really excited about this series because it's a character study of one of my favorite Old Testament characters, really one of my favorite characters in the Bible, and that is Joseph. Not Joseph and Mary, but Joseph in the Old, Old Testament. Uh, his journey from the pit to the palace is remarkable and horrible and inspiring and painful. Kind of like life, isn't it? I mean, come on, really. You're up on the mountaintop and suddenly you get, you know, Monday comes and you get your feet knocked out. That's life. One day you're on the mountain, then the next day you're in the valley, and then all of a sudden you're somewhere in between, and then you're back in the valley, and then something God does, you're on the That's the way Joseph's life was. But here's, here's the deal. The bottom line is he never gave up on his dreams. He never let go of his dreams because he knew, he knew that they were God's dreams. He knew that those dreams were from God, they weren't from him, and so it didn't matter what terrible circumstance or what was surrounding him, he at least had those dreams to hold on to. He knew his God was faithful. He knew that his, he had the promises of God. And he knew eventually those things were going to come to pass in his life. And what I'm telling you today is God wants to do the same thing in your life and in my life. But how, how can we know? How can you know? How can I know if the dream that I have, if I have one, is a God dream and not a me dream. How can we know? I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a God dream. I want to be a part of something supernatural and not natural. I'm an, I've, I've had quite enough of the natural. I've messed, I've, anybody, I've messed that up plenty of times. I want to be a part of a God dream, but how can we know for sure? We're going to talk about that. We're going to learn about that. You know, all the way up through middle school. I knew my dream was to be in law enforcement. I, I thought I had it all figured out. Most middle schoolers do. No offense. No offense. It's fine. I thought I had it all figured out. And my best friend and I, we had it all planned out. I was going into law. How many officers in the house? But we had it all figured out, my, my best friend and I. We were going to graduate and then go on to North Georgia College at that time. It's a university now. And major in criminology. And we were going to be recruited by the GB, GBI. They were, I mean, they were going to want us. I mean, and then a few years later, we were going to be recruited by the FBI. It was all planned. It was all planned. And you know what? That's not a bad dream. And, you know, sometimes God, I believe God calls people into that and puts those dreams. And those can become God dreams. But for me, in between my eighth and ninth grade year, God began to put another dream into my heart to go into full-time ministry. Now, I know what you're thinking. I knew it, Pastor. See, as soon as I turn my life over completely to God, he's going to mess up all my plans. He's going to veto my plan. He's going to call me to Africa. I'm going to have to go to Africa. <laughs> You've thought it. You know you have. He may. He might ask you to go to Africa. But here's the, here's the thing. Whatever he asks you to do and puts whatever dream he puts in you, as your heart begins to change, that dream, whatever it is, and whatever, how hard or big it is, 
will begin to become your dream. He's not, amen, thank you. He's not going to grab your arm and pull it up. Okay, God, I'll go to Africa. You know, I don't know, he might. There's been some cases like that if you're really, really stubborn. But listen, if you will begin to seek him and go after him, that dream that you used to think was so important, that was a you, you dream and not a God dream, kind of begins to fade away. And later you're like, did I really? Did I really want to do that? And then the thing that God has put in your heart is everything. His dream becomes your dream. His passion becomes your passion. Even after I was in full-time ministry, as many of you know, I was a youth pastor and also a worship pastor for many years. And I remember 10 years ago, 10 years ago, my senior pastor at the time stopped in the middle of a staff meeting and looked at me and said, God's calling you to be a senior pastor. And I laughed at him. We were, we were a good, good relationship. I don't recommend laughing at your boss just in his face when he says something important like that. But I laughed, and I, I was like, you've got, you, you're crazy. I don't even really like people. <laughs> and he laughed, and we had that kind of relationship. And he said, just, just mark my words. That was 10 years. You do the math. I've only been here a year and a half. This is my first senior pastor position. You do the math. It took a little while. I was one of those. Well, I mean, you know, God, I'm in full-time ministry. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> I want you to do what I want you to do. And, but he began to slowly change my heart. He began to deposit some things in me that could only be done from this position. And then even then, it was years. God has, God, God's not too as worried about time as we are. He, he, he's patient to a degree. He's patient. But that's, even in my life from in that situation, I love this quote. You may, you may have a, you may have a, a dream or, or something that you feel like might be a God dream, and you're thinking, I'm not even able to do that. I'm not even, I don't even have the, uh, near the ability to do that. No, you don't, but God can through you. You remember when I was talking about being in, in, in the Istanbul airport when I, I was high fever and I'm laying there dying felt like and I could hardly lift my head and I'm thinking how in the world am I going to do six days of ministry and God spoke and said you can't but I can that's what I'm talking about all God needs somebody needs to hear this all God needs is a willing heart all God needs is somebody who's willing to dream listen to this quote I love this God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies. I'm going to prove it with some um, people that you've heard of in the Bible. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper and denied Christ. David had an affair and tried to cover it up with murder. Noah got drunk after he came out of the ark. Elisha was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer and, and was way too religious. Timothy was too young. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Rahab was a prostitute. And Samson, well, he liked prostitutes. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah preached naked for three years. Just thank the Lord that that's not happening today. Praise the name of Jesus. Yes, don't clap too hard. John the Baptist 
John the Baptist ate bugs and had second thoughts about Jesus even being the Messiah. Jeremiah was too emotional. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was too short. Abraham was too old. And Lazarus was dead. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. Somebody give God praise. That means every single one of us are candidates for great things this morning. All God needs is someone willing to dream. Hallelujah. Now, this is not a trick trick question, but how many want to make a difference with your life? How many want your life to count? Raise your hand. I hope everybody raises their hand. You want your life. You know what? Listen to me, young people. God does too. God wants your life to count. But we must learn, and yes, I said the word learn. We must learn to align our will with his will. We must learn to hear and know his voice. How do we do that? There's no shortcut. You have to know this book. You have to know this book. If you don't like to read or you don't do well reading and retaining, that's fine. Get the CD. Get the audio version when you're going down the, the road. You cannot learn to hear God's voice without knowing the word of God because he will use the word and he will not contradict his word and that's how you'll know if it's him or not because Satan and his demons can make things sound really good because they use portions of the word. They know the word better than you do. And they'll use portions of the word to confuse you. That's why you've got to really, really know it so that you can tell the difference between the enemy's voice and the voice of God. That's pretty good stuff right there. So here's here's the challenge. Are you willing to go on this journey the next few weeks with Joseph and learn how to do those things, to make sure the dreams that are in your heart are God dreams and not you dreams, or if you don't have a dream at all, that God would begin, begin to deposit something supernatural in you? Are you willing? Oh, my goodness. Four of you. Are you willing to go on this journey? Amen. All right, all right. Let's go to our text. Let me give you one word, a one-word background to the family of Joseph. One word. You ready? Dysfunction. There's not a family represented here this morning. There's not a family represented in Canton, Georgia that could hold a candle to the dysfunction of Joseph's family, the house of Jacob. Not one. Jacob, his name was changed to what? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's right. Israel had 12 sons from four different women. I know you're thinking, I have, we're, we're with you so far. We got that. No, just wait. And Joseph was number 11. His mother was who? And remember, Rachel, that's right. His mother was Rachel. Now, Jacob, his dad, was tricked into marrying his first wife because she was ugly. <laughs> Kathy got so mad at me for saying that in the early service. She, uh, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Okay, she was also the, the elder, the, the oldest daughter, and so 
the father, you know, he was like, you, you got to marry her first. And Joseph's like, no, I don't, yeah, no, don't love her. <laughs> so his, this is, this is right. I'm telling you, if you don't know this story, it's the father put a veil over this woman's name, Leah, and, and veiled her, went to the wedding. Joseph didn't know it was her, married her. They went into a dark tent, stayed the night, got up, and hello, it's Leah. How about that? Joseph, I mean, Jacob was a trickster, and he got tricked. It all came back. On him. So seven years later, he had to work seven more years for the hand of Rachel, his beloved, the one he loved the most. And then there were two other women who were concubines, servants, who he had other children with. And what happened was Leah could have, had several boys, but Rachel could not have children. And so Rachel began to use her maidservant as a concubine so that she could call those, those boys her own. And then Leah stopped having children, and so she did the same thing. And it became this weird competition between these sisters to see who could have more children through Jacob. I told you it was crazy. I mean, this is like Young and the Restless on steroids, right? <laughs> Nuts. But listen to this. Rachel would eventually have two sons. But these 12 boys became the 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel, the same Israel that we know of today. Folks, this was almost 4,000 years ago. Now, here's the point. It doesn't matter the chaos or the dysfunction that you have been born into. It doesn't matter even the circumstances that are surrounding you right now. God is big enough to move any obstacle, any mountain in your life. There is nothing too big standing between you and a significant life, between you and the hopes and the dreams. God can do anything. He can remove any obstacle. Give him praise if you believe that. Come on. Hallelujah. If we dedicate ourselves to the God of the Bible, the Jehovah God, he can make something beautiful out of anything. Out of anything. Let's find out how God does that through Joseph. Genesis 37. I'm going to ha have the words on the screen. I'm in the New Living Translation. Genesis 37, 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father, who was Isaac, had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17, everybody say 17. That's important. Just remember that. He often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. These were the two concubines. These were the two women who had some sons together. There were four of them all together. And so there was already some tension there because they were kind of like the red-headed stepchildren, okay, through these these uh, concubines, these, these servants. But notice something. They were in charge. They were in charge because they were older. Then it says, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, nobody likes a tattletale, right? How many have younger siblings? You know. See, I was the younger sibling. <laughs> All the stories. Mostly about how my sister kicked my tail like all the time because I was seven years younger and made her life miserable. But this is the first hint that we have 
of Joseph's good character. He didn't handle it right, but we have a hint of his good character because scholars believe that these sons were robbing Jacob blind. I mean, they, they were just, they were doing some really evil mobster kind of stuff, and he was trying to stop it. He did the only thing he knew to do, and he told on them. But obviously, that just drove a deeper wedge between him and these brothers. Verse 3, Jacob loved, <laughs> Jacob loved Joseph more than the other, all of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. And if you want to write down there, also because he had been born of Rachel, his beloved wife, when she finally had a son. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful Robe, and now you're thinking, what's the big deal? A robe? I mean, I can go to the Hilton and get a robe. It's no, you know, it's no big deal. No, no. Let me put this in modern day terms, okay? So, in modern day terms, think of it this way: Joseph gets a 2017 Lamborghini for his birthday. And his brothers, these other brothers, get a 1998 Dodge Neon to share. You get in the picture? You're saying that's not really a good comparison. It is, and I'll tell you why. Because the, 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 this coat, this, this gift, meant a whole lot more than the material. Scholars believe it was, it was a sign of the birthright, the inheritance being passed to Joseph, who was the 11th son. Now, understand, this family was rich, wealthy. Abraham was rich. Isaac was even richer, and Jacob was just flat-out wealthy. And so there was a ton on the line. And here Joseph is, the 11th in line. Traditionally, he would be the 11th in line to receive. And here he is made the one who would receive the inheritance. Now talk about some family tension, especially when you're talking about money. Can anybody? Are you with me? The next verse reveals what the result is of, of Jacob's favor. Verse 4. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Can you imagine living in that scenario where you're not just trying to get along, but you're trying to work with these guys? Look at the screen. Sometimes life dishes out circumstances that are out of our control but put us at odds with other people. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes things happen that are outside. We didn't do it. Joseph didn't do this. He didn't make Jacob favor him. He didn't make Jacob give him this gift. He didn't make Jacob make him the inheritor. He didn't do this, but it put him at odds with his brothers. About 100 years ago, I worked at the, at the YMCA. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. I was a counselor. I was 19 years old. And I made friends with our other counselors. We had a blast. I mean, we had a lot of fun on the job. We were having fun with the, the kids and just having a big time. Well, the counselors decided they were going to go. This is in Tennessee. They were going to come to Atlanta and go to Six Flags one weekend. Well, I thought we were friends, you know. And by the way, at that time, I had completely sold out to God. I was in Bible school. I was the whole deal and naive, big time. And these were my friends, and we were going to say, hey, my parents live, live in Marietta. We can stay there and not have to, not have to really, you know, uh, 
buy a hotel room or anything, and they just kind of looked at each other. It's like they're like, "Nah, it's okay. We're gonna get a we're gonna get a room." I was like, "Okay, whatever." You know, little did I know, Six Flags was the least of what they were coming down. They were going party. They were just coming down to just get wasted. And so I came and I went to the hotel room and and I'm I'm, I'm sitting in there, and these they start doing drinking games. And I'm, I'm, I don't participate. I'm not judging. I'm not judging them. These are my friends. I'm not judging them. I'm, if I had known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have gone. But I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to be as less, least awkward as I can be. I'm not succeeding at all. And they just get drunker and drunker, and I'm sober. And it, it, it really becomes quite humorous looking back at all the stuff they were doing. But finally, I just had to leave. I, I, I couldn't be there anymore. And I left, and I went and stayed with my parents. And from then on, there was a wedge. There was a wedge at work. I didn't, they didn't ask me to do anything anymore. There was a wedge. How many know what I'm talking about? It happens sometimes outside of our control. But what, we, what do we do when it's our loved ones? See, that was just a summer, Doug. That was just a summer job and... I went on, they went on, I don't have to see them anymore. But what about when it's your family? What about when that wedge is, is with your parents or with your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter or brother or sister? What do you do with that? How do you handle that? <laughs> Only see them on the holidays. That's not good, though, is it? No, really. That doesn't really, and then it's really awkward, right? And you don't even enjoy the holidays because you know that's what it's going to be. Am I preaching? Listen, there is no easy answer. There is no step one, step two, step three. Sometimes, and I, pr- I apologize for the way I'm wording this, sometimes we have to pick up our, our little boy pants and our, you know, pull up our little girl pants and, and listen, understand that God can Use the tension to help and build our character. If we invite him into the tension, if we invite him into the problem and the situation and quit trying to solve it on our own. It's not easy. It's not a day at the beach. But it can be life changing if we invite God into it. Sometimes we just need to shut up and pray. You, every time you open your mouth, you make it worse sometimes. <laughs> You're like, woo, okay, pastor. How many of you work out? Raise your hand. Be honest in church. Some of you are like, well, it's been seven years, but... That's me. (laughs) But you know kind of what the principles are, even if you don't, right? What would be the point of going to the gym and working out with no resistance against your muscles, with no tension? If you work out or if you know about working out, you know that it takes the tension. It takes the resistance to get stronger. 
It's the very same thing in our spiritual walk, in our life. God doesn't automatically relieve those things sometimes because he uses them to build our faith and to build our character. Pastor, are you sure? Oh, yes, James, the brother of Jesus said, consider it all joy. When you face trials, resistance, problems, issues of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let me tell you something. We are going into a place of history like none other, and we better learn how to persevere if we're going to make it. Come on, this thing is not easy, but with God all things are possible. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and he needs some dreamers who are willing to stand up And do what he's asked us to do. If he does, he will strengthen us. He will qualify us and help us. Hallelujah. Lost my complete place because I got got off on that. Verse verse 5. Let's go to verse 5. One night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. Really, Joseph? Really? You're going to tell that dream to those brothers? Now listen. All of the other stuff, Jacob giving him favor, giving him the robe, doing all that, that, that had nothing to do with him. He, that was, this one's all on him. Listen, we all have, hopefully, have hopes and dreams. But listen, we have to use wisdom in who we tell and when we tell. Sharing with the wrong person at the wrong time or the wrong group of people can derail that thing for a long time. Time as Joseph is going to find out. God is still able. But listen, look at the screen. If you have a dream, guard it. Pray about it. And share it with someone who is mature. Someone who is following after Christ. Someone who will tell you the truth, but do it in love. And not out of a place of jealousy or envy. You better, this is... It's better preaching than you're giving me today. You better write that down and stand on it because God's going to begin to speak some things to some of you. And it's very important that you do share it, but with the right person at the right time. Let's see what happens. Verse 8, his brothers responded, So you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more. This is like the fourth time that they're hating him. Even worse. Because of his dreams. Say that. Because of his dreams and the the way he talked about, in other words, the way he ran his mouth. So again, the first set of circumstances that that Jacob favored him, that he had the gift and all this inheritance, that was out of his control, but this was on his shoulders. And look at me, just like Joseph, we mess it up sometimes, don't we? Only four of you. Y'all are dismissed. I mean, you're doing good. We mess it up, don't we, sometimes? But look, even then, even then, God is big enough to turn our mistakes around, come in the back door, and his name be glorified by how he turns something around and makes something beautiful out of something very ugly. God is big enough. Say that with me. God is big enough. But, however, look at the screen. There are always consequences. 
Pastor, you were, had us all encouraged. And then you drop that one. There are always consequences. God can still work it out, but there are always earthly, natural consequences for our actions. Last week I told you about, we were you know, up in Tennessee at a church and the, the, the bottom dropped out of, of the economy and I had to resign my, my church because of the, the pay cut and we had just built a home. We lost the home, had to short sell the home. I didn't tell this part though. Before we built that house, I had several good people advise me not to build it. They said something's, had builders say something's shifting, something's moving, the economy's changing. My parents said, we're not feeling good about this. Don't do it. And you know what? That door shut. God shut that door. But being young, dumb, stupid, stubborn, I kicked the door down, and I certainly didn't like what was on the other side. Listen to me, young people, listen to me. If God shuts a door, if God shuts a door on a boyfriend or a girlfriend or on something else that you're going to do, if God shuts the door, middle-aged person, if God shuts the door, don't kick it down because you're not going to like what's on the other side. There will be consequences to those actions. And so I ended up, Losing $25,000, having to cut a check every month to nothing. $25,000 to buy a pretty nice car. It won't buy a Lamborghini, but it'll buy... A, I needed a vehicle, Doug, and I'm, I'm writing checks to the air. Consequences. Are you hearing me today? Verse 9. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again... He told his brothers, listen, I have had another dream. Y'all are excited about this. I know the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. Okay, at this point, you have to wonder if the elevator's going to the top with brother <laughs> Joseph. You just have to wonder if something's a little off. But then you have to go back to the beginning of the story and remember he's 17 years old. He's 17 years old. Now, all of the teenagers are like, we have a lot of 17-year-olds that are doing amazing. I have to brag on my Sarah. She's here this morning. She's not perfect. She's not perfect, especially in the morning. But listen, she did have problems. I know, she, got, she was here on her own today. No, no problem there. Listen, Sarah, Sarah is a worshiper of Almighty God. Sarah's going after God like I have seen very few young people. And I know she's my daughter. You're like, you're biased. No, I'm, I'm serious. I see it every day. She's reading her word. She's going after God. She, she's, she's a worshiper of God. I don't have to worry about what she's doing. She was at prom. I didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have to worry about any of that. Andrew here at our, is our media director. He's 17 years old. He's going after God. He's doing great things for the Lord. We've got other young people here that are sitting right here that are going after God. It's not all bad news. Come on, somebody. Give God praise for teenagers who are willing to stand up for their faith and live it out. But our son, and you've heard me talk about it, he lost his mind when he was a teenager. Lost his ever-loving mind. Can anybody relate? Either in your own life or with your kids. Both. I don't know. He lived 
as though the world could not touch him. Nothing could affect him. He ran from God. He did everything he knew to do. He was a star pitcher in high school and never got the opportunity to pitch at the college level because of poor choices. Now, he would later come back to God. He would later radically be saved. God would give him a beautiful wife and a family. He's living out his new dreams now, and I praise God for that. But he can't go back. Those opportunities will never to, to play baseball and to do those things, he'll never get that back because of consequences, of choices. Young people, listen to me. It doesn't have to be that way. Everybody else, listen to me. It doesn't have to be that way. Let me say it again. I know it's a little bit distracting. It doesn't have to be that way. There is no written rule that says when you become a teenager, you have to lose your mind, that you have to do something crazy, or, or that when you leave for college, that you have to give up on God, that you have to totally lose your faith and, and, and enter this void of, of, of whatever. There's no written rule that says you have to lose your faith and do stupid things. If you give yourself to God, if you will completely give your heart to Him, He will walk with you. He will talk with you. He will be with you every step of the way, and He will help you persevere all the way until you either die or He comes again. Hallelujah! My God, I feel that in this house. Somebody needs to... Get excited that God is able to deliver us and move with us and help us. My Lord. Mm, man, I felt that. Because listen, your choices, look at the screen. Your choices now will affect your dreams later. Your choices now will affect your dreams later. So, back to our story. Joseph had just told his loving brothers another dream about how they're going to not just bow, but bow low. Listen to how verse 10 starts. This time. Everybody say this time. How many have had a this time story? Let me explain. Pastor, what are you talking about? This time, it cost me my job. This time, it cost me my friendship. This time, it cost me the grade that I wanted. This time it cost me my place on the team. Let me ask the question again. How many have had a this time moment? Well, let me give you a piece of midlife advice because that's all I can give. The older you get, the more serious the this time can be. This time it cost me my marriage. This time it cost me my family. This time it cost me my home. This time. If you will dedicate yourself to the precepts and the principles in this word, even if you still don't buy into all of it, you know, there's some, there's, there's some stuff in here you've got to have a lot of faith to believe, some, some, some big stories. Even if you're, you're on this journey and you're like, Pastor, I'm not quite there all the way. Even if you will dedicate yourself to the precepts in this word, even if you haven't bought all the way in, it will greatly reduce the this time moments in your life. I promise you that. I promise you that. All right, we're almost done. 
Continue with verse 10. This time he told the dream to his father as well and to his brothers, but his father scolded him. Of course he did. What kind of dream is that? I love you, son, but come on. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. In closing, let me ask you one question. One question. Do you have a dream? Not your mom, not your brother, not your friend. Do you have a dream? If you don't, why? Do you feel like it's, it's the time for dreaming has passed you by? Maybe you feel like you're too old. Like, Pastor, I'm just trying to live one day at a time. Or maybe you're a parent of teenagers that have lost their mind. And you're like, I'm just trying to survive. I don't have time to dream. Or maybe you're like, you know what? There is something there, but I, I just know I can't do it. I just know I'm not talented enough or gifted enough or have what it takes to do it. Whatever the reason. Maybe your former dreams, maybe your former dreams got crushed and you're afraid. I'm speaking to somebody right now. You're afraid to ever dream again. Do you know that God wants you to dream? God wants you to dream, and here's our big idea, because the right dream can become your God-given purpose in life. The right dream can become your God-given purpose. That's what happened with Joseph, and he held on to it, held on to it, and it became his purpose in life. Would you bow your heads?